This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense, an IHS market podcast focused on topics that lie on the intersection of energy and finance. This is Hill Vaden, and I'm here today with Chloe Holzinger, an expert on batteries within IHS Markets climate and clean tech team. How are you, Chloe? Hi, Hill. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. And you join us from Boston today, is that right? Yep. Yep. And you have just bought uh, a house during the, the, the peak of kind of the housing craziness. I did. Uh, luckily, we got in um, into the city. Okay. Uh, so uh, hopefully during um, a lull in in housing prices that now seems to be going up as people start to go back to the city. Because everybody um, wants to leave the city. Uh, they used to. Now everywhere yeah. is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and are you mo- so are you moving from out of the city into the city then? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. Suburbs to um, really downtown. So walking distance to IHS market, which will be really nice. That's great. Mm-hmm. I live in the city uh, in, in Houston as well. And so I read all the headlines about all these people leaving the city. But I think they're going to be back. But- yeah. I mean, I love the city. I love Boston. Um, there's so much to do downtown, whether it's seeing people or hypothetically going to concerts once those start up again. Um, being able to walk everywhere and not have to take an Uber or worry about driving and parking, you know, it's going to it's going to be nice. And they will be. But that's that. That's what I think people, you know, all these people you see Manhattan, you know, is, is the most often in the headline, maybe just because, you know, you look in The New York Times. But when there's no Broadway, there's no basketball games, there's nothing to do. It's easy to say, I'm going to go out into the burbs. And then all of a sudden there are those things and people are going to end back. I I think the death of the city has been prematurely written. I think folks will be back. Absolutely. Totally. Well, we are here today. Uh, congratulations on on the first time home by. Uh, that, that is, uh, I remember I regretted it the second I did it and probably for the first year of ownership of a, my, my first home, but, but congratulations. And it, it worked out for me and I'm, I hope it works out for you. Thank you. I think, uh, <laughs> think my fiance pretty much had the exact same reaction that you did. <laughs> yeah, I think anytime you write a big check, there's like buyer's remorse, no, no matter what it is. Yeah, it's a bit shocking. It's unbelievably shocking, yes. Shocking is maybe an awkward segue into a discussion on batteries. Uh, a punish segue. Um, so we, we, you and I have been trading emails and conversations for the past you know, week or so talking about um, you know, all of what's going on t- today in batteries. And you know, as I was mentioning before the call, there's a lot of the chemistry in you know, my familiarity with batteries is you know, I see what's going on in the headlines. I'm very familiar with the Energizer bunny. Um, and I hope that he has kind of some sort of return to prominence now that batteries are popular again. Um, he or she, I'm not sure which uh, gender the bunny chooses to identify themselves as. Um, but you've been working with batteries for a while, having right out of uh, graduate school, you were with like an underwater battery technology company? Yep. 
Yep, I was a mechanical engineer for Open Water Power, where I built a lot of the prototype systems that were used in demonstrations that eventually led to the company's uh, acquisition by L3 Technologies, which is a defense contractor. And so we were really developing aluminum water batteries for undersea applications, primarily for defense applications, such as, you know, drones, buoys, sensors, those types of things. It's not really a a huge uh, market in the private sector uh, for underwater batteries, except for perhaps offshore oil and gas. But yeah, I joined there right out of grad school. Um, I got really lucky in that it was a great combination of my two very different uh, academic degrees in terms of marine chemistry and undergrad and mechanical engineering in grad school. So so, yeah, very different. job. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of fell into batteries by accident, but I've been there, you know, been here ever since. Well, now it's one of the most popular topics at IHS, I would say, between, you know, batteries and solar and hydrogen, some of the, the, the green technologies. And the, the, the stuff that I guess has been catching our attention recently is a lot of the coverage around uh, coverage and enthusiasm around solid state batteries um, as a potential evolution from lithium ion. Can, can you maybe kind of set the scene a little bit of what's what, why the fascination with, with solid state batteries and, and how a solid state battery differs from what's available in the lithium ion? Sure. So I'll uh, I'll start with going backwards, start with the definition. Okay. Um, so a solid state battery, really all that means is that you take out the gel or liquid uh, electrolyte in you know, today's incumbent lithium ion batteries. That gel or liquid electrolyte is typically flammable. So that's really a lot of the, the safety issues with today's lithium ion batteries is the electrolyte. And then replacing that with some kind of solid material, whether that's a polymer or ceramic. Um, but in in any solid state battery case, you know that solid material is non-flammable. So you are dramatically improving the safety of a lithium ion battery by switching to a solid electrolyte. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the the enthusiasm around solid state batteries um, has historically been centered around uh, the ability to pair a lithium metal anode with that solid electrolyte. So today's batteries use a graphite anode, which is super cheap and really readily available, and they work great. But a lithium metal anode would dramatically improve the energy density of a lithium ion battery. So by using a lithium metal anode and a solid electrolyte, you would improve both safety and energy density, which is a pretty uncommon combination of traits um, within the lithium ion battery technology world. So why then why the lithium, what what prevented or what has or is preventing the solid state battery from getting to market ahead of lithium ion? Why was it lithium ion so standard? Because it's today like 95, 98% of the market, right? Yes. Um, And it's also important to note that solid state batteries are just another kind of lithium ion battery. So it's really just the, you know, it's not even really the next evolution of lithium ion battery because there is other different materials being commercialized that are ahead of solid state batteries. But solid state batteries are really, you know, a couple couple steps beyond uh, what today's lithium ion batteries are. And a lot of companies are 
really excited about these these batteries because of those two qualities, the energy density and the safety, which can really open up uh, some some new markets potentially. So energy density by improving that factor, um, you in a vehicle application would have much better vehicle range. So you would be able to go longer between charges for your vehicle. And you know today, a lot of people still cite range anxiety as one of the key barriers for them in terms of committing to an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. For safety, you know this is uh, one of the things get, that gets talked about regularly. You know, you see some article about um, some battery catching fire or, you know, stationary or or electric vehicle. So any improved safety is always welcome. But uh, it's particularly important for um, applications like electric aviation. So if you're in a electric helicopter, for example, you know, you're going to really want a, uh, a much safer battery that that you feel confident about. And they're lighter too, right? The solid state. The yes. State. <clears throat> yes. Definitely. And is that's that what is improving? I'm sorry. So that's also good for aviation. And driving too, right? Because I mean, I think the the batteries in a Tesla or whatever today are about a third of the car's body weight, right? Yes. So hypothetically, you could use a smaller battery to get the same kinds of ranges, a smaller solid state battery to get the same kinds of ranges that you're getting today in today's Tesla or electric vehicle or whatever. But then, you know, that battery would certainly be lighter, but you would also have a shorter range. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of automakers that are looking at using solid state batteries are looking to basically have the same volume of of battery, the same volume and and weight, but that particular battery would then be able to have a much longer range than today's vehicles. So it's a trade-off. You you aren't going to have a lighter battery and better range. You know, you get one or the other. And so, what's the what's the hurdle? Why why, why is such enthusiasm around solid state battery? And is it simply a matter of cost, or is there some technology that is still needing to be perfected before they become more mainstream? Honestly, it's a lot of technology development. You know, for any new battery chemistry or battery material, um, you need many, many years of development before that material is is ready for use in a commercial vehicle. So lithium metal anodes are actually a really good example of that, in that some of the very first lithium ion batteries developed used lithium metal anode. So these things have been around for decades, but they have uh, this really tricky issue of forming these branch-like dendrites, which can really punch through anything including a solid electrolyte. Um, and that those dendrites can cause battery shortages and potentially fires. So that's the, the main reason why you don't see lithium metal anodes today, even though they've been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the technology development over the past few years has been focused on bringing these solid electrolytes to be compatible with lithium metal anodes, really understanding um, how you can operate that type of battery in order to prevent dendrite formation and increasing the cycle life of these batteries. Um, so every new battery chemistry, you know, you test it in a lab to in a very small scale cell 
that each cycle 10 cycles or something, 20, 50 cycles. And for an electric vehicle, you really need a battery that can cycle a thousand times without too much degradation. A cycle meeting with the recharging, so, so each recharging is going to degrade the performance of the battery. Yes, yes. In recent years, it's been there's been a lot of focus on technology development. Really, we're still kind of in that phase, but uh, a lot of technology developers are starting to transition to thinking about uh, mass production of their cells. And that's really an entirely different problem compared to technology development. Figuring out how to make a battery that can go to 800 or 1,000 cycles and has excellent energy density and safety, you know, that's great. But then being able to make that battery reliably hundreds of thousands of times is a, a whole different ballgame. And so that process of scaling up operations and production and you know, building production lines that, uh, that can handle that as well as accommodate this brand new technology, um, that's no small feat. Well, and so, so when we look in the middle, I was looking at, the, I think you published a report maybe two weeks ago or something on um, solid state batteries and, and your forecast has today's lithium ion battery losing market share, you know, in a nice curve, you know, out, out to 2030 as the advanced lithium ion battery comes into play and starts to take a majority of market share before the solid uh, battery comes in later. What, what's the difference of this advanced, where, where does that fit into this equation, this advanced lithium ion? Sure. So that advanced lithium ion is really, um, a catch-all phrase that we're using to include uh, some of these uh, silicon anodes, um, which can be you know, pure silicon or you know high silicon percentages, or um, you know on the cathode side, that would be high nickel cathodes, high manganese cathodes um, would fall into that. You know, we would say that today's LFP batteries would probably fall under the the definition of conventional lithium ion batteries. So those particular tags, you know, those really refer to the chemistry itself. Now, in addition to the chemistries of these batteries and how they're evolving and changing, there is also quite a bit of innovation and development on cell design and pack design as well. Um, and that is really happening concurrently with a lot of this chemistry development. So even though, you know, conventional lithium ion would include LFP batteries, you know, thinking back on those forecasts, we might want to even increase that, uh, that market share since there has been so much development on LFP uh, battery pack structures. And now these pack structures are able to achieve, you know, very competitive energy densities at the pack level to um, NMC and NCA batteries, uh, which are really the more common uh, vehicle battery chemistry right now. Okay. Is this group of players developing these technology the same where, where if I'm making a lithium ion battery today that I'm also working on the um, advanced and whatever else, or, or do you have specialists within each sector that is, you know, going to lose market share at the expense of someone else's technology? I would say um, 
you know, very unhelpful answer of both. So there are some players that are pursuing a wide variety of different strategies and chemistries and technologies. And then there are some that are, you know, very committed to particularly one technology. So um, startups, for example, are, you know, 100% focused on really their one technology, their one solid state battery technology. Um, you know, maybe their solid electrolyte is compatible with a variety of different cathode chemistries or anode chemistries, but um, they are focused on their electrolyte. Or, you know, certain automakers. So Toyota, for example, is easily by far the largest patent holder of uh, solid-state battery uh, patents in the world. You know, it's not even close. It's Toyota, and then everybody else is kind of clustered at a different end of the graph. And are these uh, patents all, I mean, are these all practical patents, or are they getting in front of technology for potential, you know, business preservation or extension in the future, or, or are these kind of, quote-unquote, kind of real patents that, that they expect to execute within the next X number of years? I would expect it's probably both, you know, there is so much, you know, Toyota could be quite a big player in the solid state battery space, but there's not really too much that's known about um, their particular battery chemistry. They're planning on coming out with an announcement um, later this year and the next year as well with more details about their solid state battery chemistry. But right now, Toyota's a, a bit of um, a dark horse in this race, yeah. um, which is very different than companies like Solid Power or QuantumScape that you know publish all of this data on their battery performance. Toyota hasn't done any of that. Um, so we're really all just pretty eager to see what they've been working on. Well, the other two companies you mentioned, uh, QuantumScape and um... Sorry, what was the other one? The solid, solid Power. Solid Power. These are battery companies, not not car companies, right? Yes. It's Toyota. Should, should we be looking at someone like Toyota as a, a battery company? That's an excellent question. Um, I think many technology analysts do view Toyota as a bit of a battery company. Um, you know, Toyota also has a partnership with Panasonic. Mm -hmm. um, Panasonic would be the one to actually manufacture those Toyota batteries. Panasonic's also manufacturing the Tesla batteries, right? Yes, yes. And, I mean, they seem to be partnered with, I think, what, Honda, Toyota, Tesla, and was Nissan the other one? Yes, uh, there is. Um, Tesla is not in that particular partnership consortium, but there are a group of, I think, 20-something uh, Japanese companies uh, announced a, a consortium to develop solid-state batteries uh, together um, in a collaborative manner back in 2018, I want to say. And that kind of collaboration to, towards a, a shared technology goal, you know, we haven't really seen that kind of similar partnership network in the U.S., but Japanese companies... Um, European companies have also uh, chosen this strategy for battery recycling. It can be a very effective method for making sure that you are developing a technology with a market and with a production line. Is there, from a business perspective, where's the IP in, in something like that? You know, it, it, is Panasonic teaching all of its partners the same things, and, and therefore they can go out and find another partner? I mean, where's the 
where's the market power in a relationship like that? I would assume it's very complex. Um, <laughs> and it's not something that I am intimately familiar with. I am much more familiar with U.S. attitudes towards um, intellectual property, but they are interesting um, strategies towards approaching some of these long-term technology ventures that you know take many years, if not you know decades, to really develop and commercialize. Well, then you know, mentioning the U.S., I think the the, the 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 partnership, I'll call it a wheel, uh, from, from your report, where the U.S. car manufacturers were kind of individually partnered um, on a car manufacturer to battery rather than the, the, the consortium in, in Japan. Are, are those partnerships more ring-fenced, where whatever GM is doing with its partner, Ford is not going to benefit from, and vice versa? That's the idea. And that you know, going back to some of that security of IP, a lot of these automakers are trying to distinguish themselves from all of the other electric vehicle car makers by having some kind of fancy, cool battery technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this battery technology is going to be in luxury vehicles, and maybe it's you know targeting 2030 as a commercialization timeline. But regardless, hypothetically. You know, maybe it's exclusive to just GM or just Ford or, you know, making sure that these particular automakers can use that as a lever in getting people to choose their vehicles over other vehicles. It does, though, you know, if you're only partnered with one particular solid state battery developer, then you are pretty committed to that particular technology succeeding. Right. Um, and you don't really have a very diversified portfolio to draw from if that particular developer ends up taking longer than you expect or needs more money or you know if they run into an somehow unsolvable technology issue you're you're pretty stuck with what you got and is the advantage then the the, the battery rather than the the, the car that, that if i'm a, if, <clears throat> if you and i are partnered and, and you're the battery and i'm the car once you develop your battery and I start buying that battery from you, what what am I? Is is just dis- distribution that I'm bringing to that table? Like I mean, it's almost as if the car companies could end up as you know, kind of boxes for other people's IP if they're not benefiting from the proprietary nature of the actual battery technology itself. Yes. So I think the other important partnership here is the cell manufacturers. So it's, you know, over the past few years, you know, we've seen Europe, for example, put billions of dollars towards uh, supporting local cell manufacturing facilities. Northvolt alone has raised many billions of dollars from European government entities, whether from the countries themselves or local uh, governments or, you know, the European Union. You know, these, it takes a lot of funding to build a cell manufacturing facility. And that's not something that is available as a strategy for many startups. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a ton of capital. And those skills in, in terms of scaling and operating those types of, you know, production lines, you know, most technology developers would rather keep developing technologies rather than operating you know, these uh, gigafactories. 
And then on the other side, the automakers themselves, you know, they have the same kinds of issues. Do they really want to operate their own cell manufacturing facilities um, and put all of that money towards just cell manufacturing rather than all of the other different components that go in the car? Um, you know, automakers are also dealing with a variety of other megatrends around vehicle ownership. Uh, there was a, a really good seminar during Sierra Week uh, last month where one of uh, one of our consultants talked about CASE, which is you know connectivity, autonomy, shared mobility, and electrification as really the main trends in the vehicle industry right now. And so automakers are not only navigating electrification, but all of these other mm -hmm. um, different aspects. So committing fully to just cell manufacturing. They maybe have other things to do. Tesla really wants to be a cell manufacturer. You know, that's a that's something they've wanted to do for a long time. But there really aren't too many companies like Tesla. And so, so Volkswagen seems to have, and you mentioned Northvolt, um, a slightly different approach than Tesla or Toyota, who we previously mentioned it. And Volkswagen, I'm right, is um, I may be describing this poorly, but they they are exclusively partnered with QuantumScape. From the perspective of QuantumScape, but but also working with Northvolt, who acquired Qberg. Yeah, so that is a um, a very interesting partnership uh, diagram. I'm not entirely sure. Just to clarify, if the QuantumScape Volkswagen relationship is exclusive, you know, QuantumScape might be looking for other automotive partners, and uh, you know, Volkswagen might also be able to to work with with other particular technology developers. But it's it's really interesting because QuantumScape and Huberg are both startups that came out of Stanford and uh, they're both using lithium metal anodes. And they had different electrolyte strategies. QuantumScape is using a, uh, a solid separator and um, a little bit of liquid electrolyte. And Huberg uh, is just using a, their own kind of liquid electrolyte. I'm sure they have particular additives that they use in it. But because they both use lithium metal anodes, they are able to achieve very similar cell level energy densities. Um, so it's uh, going to be very interesting to see how QuantumScape and, and Qberg really grow over these, these next few years, um, since Northvolt will certainly be helping Qberg accelerate their manufacturing production lines. Um, they totally own Qberg now, right? Yes, that is a full-on acquisition. And, and Volkswagen, I, I think Volkswagen and Bill Gates were the two big investors in QuantumScape before the SPAC um, IPO type thing last yep. year, two years ago or something. Yep. Um, uh, particularly, Volkswagen, I think, put um, a few hundred million dollars towards QuantumScape. So, uh, you know, the, the Volkswagen relationship with QuantumScape is is uh, very tight. But Volkswagen also has exposure to this Northvolt Qberg thing, right? So, so I guess from the, the Volkswagen perspective, they've got exposure to, to similar technologies from an end user's perspective, the end result, but it's the way that each firm, Northvolt and, and QuantumScape is getting there, that is the difference? Yeah, you know, I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, Volkswagen at their power day uh, about a month or so ago, 
basically announced that they want to use LFP and uh, high manganese cathodes for about 80% of their fleet. And then, you know, the last 20% would probably be some some more luxury uh, specialty types of batteries. And, you know, QuantumScape and I'm sure Kuberg as well are primarily using, you know, some, some pretty expensive materials. And it still, in my mind, remains to be seen whether or not solid-state batteries will, you know, be isolated in use into the luxury electric vehicle segment, or if over time they'll be able to reduce their costs and uh, move into other vehicle segments. Um, But for sure, at least in the near term um, or near term for solid-state batteries. So around 2030, when they start to enter the market, you know, they'll they'll just be used for luxury electric vehicles. And, you know, 2035 to 2040, you know, who knows? And you say luxury electric vehicles, is that intentional? That, that if some, elect, I think some electric vehicles are in a sense selling down market and are maybe not as luxurious as some of the others. Should we be looking at solid state batteries in that sense that, that it's going to be the high end of an electric market rather than call it the, the, the base end? Yeah, that's... Uh, that's how I've been thinking about it more recently. Okay. Um, you know, for those base end models, automakers are really interested in making sure that they provide batteries that you know meet all of the basic needs. Um, but you know, costs are really king here. And if solid state batteries remain pretty expensive, then you know they'll stay uh, isolated for use in expensive vehicles. But for, you know, an economy car, you know, LFP might be a really good option. So what are you, as you look at the space today, what are you watching? And I think we saw two or three announcements this week. And then obviously, I think there was an announcement this week from someone on stopping making, you know, conventional fuel cars by 2030 or something. So all the movements are in the direction of an electrified fleet. Um, in terms of the technology and in terms of things to become more mainstream, what, what are the catalysts or the signposts that we need to, to keep an eye out for? Yeah, I think uh, going back to that range anxiety issue, I think one of the things that I'm watching most closely is how companies develop their EV charging strategies. And you know, Volkswagen has their own uh, regional strategies for the Americas, uh, Europe and China, um, and Tesla has its uh, supercharger network. But I'm curious to see how those EV charging strategies evolve over time. Um, a lot of these rely on currently on uh, offering fast charging abilities. But you know, it's a little unclear how many people, how often people would really actually need fast charging. If you're just going to be charging at work and home, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do you really need to pay extra um, for a 30-minute charge? Maybe, maybe not. And uh, it's it can be pretty expensive to build and and operate those those charging networks. So I'll be curious to see how those evolve and develop. Um, since there will be, you know, a relationship between the EV charging strategy and and the the battery strategy. 
do you anticipate a sort of consolidation where um, you were talking about Toyota as being a car company or a battery company where those companies today we refer to as car companies are increasingly seen as battery companies or will each specialize and work more through the partnership angle? I think it'll probably be more of the partnerships angle. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, there are really a lot of different megatrends and factors for car companies to be thinking about and uh, um, accounting for over the next you know, couple decades. And I don't really think that many of them will want to really dedicate all those resources towards developing a particularly new or specialized uh, battery technology um, with, you know, Tesla and Toyota being the exceptions. And there will be, you know, other exceptions as well. Volkswagen, you can call an exception? Yeah, I think uh, I'm curious to see more of what Volkswagen talked about at its power day, uh, particularly around battery recycling and its unified cell design, um, as well as its high manganese cathodes. You know, Volkswagen talked about so many different things at its power day that I'm really interested in seeing more details on those. Yeah. But there are also these various different uh, electric vehicle startups that are uh, looking to have their own particular batteries. Rivian uh, advertised a bat solid-state battery engineering position a few weeks ago. Um, Neo has obviously a very strong uh, battery team. So we'll see how those particular efforts pan out as well. Well, this is uh, maybe a good place to leave it because I, I mean, I think there's a lot to watch in this space. And you've mentioned recycling, you know, a handful of times, which I think becomes a more important part of the question. You know, if, if one can increase the number of charges per battery, you know, that perhaps mitigates some of the need for recycling um, or if the cost of recycling increases to the point, you know, that, that maybe that solid state battery becomes more attractive um, outside of the luxury vehicle or, or glass. So, um, <clears throat> well, I hope that you will uh, come back and talk to us about some of these things uh, in a future podcast. But thank you uh, very much for, for joining today. Uh, and congratulations on your new home again. And uh, we'll, we'll do this again soon. Thanks so much, Hill. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Chloe. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.